Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each and every season we pick six different movies that fall under one common theme. I'm Bo Ranstell, and along with my co-host and longtime friend, Chad Cooper, we're going to give you some insight behind how, when, where, and why each movie was made. And on top of that, at no charge to you, dear listener, you are going to get a full review of the movie from me and Chad. You have found yourself at Season 7, Episode 5, and I'd like to tell you that you're in for a treat, but instead, I'm going to tell you that we talk about the movie Pixels. And so, dear listeners, as the title of our Season 7 goes, it is Game On for this movie starring Adam Sandler and Kevin James and Peter Dinklage as uh, kind of a Billy Mitchell guy. Ugh. Anyway, here's Chad. In 1982, Life Magazine assembled the greatest video game players in the world for a photo shoot that would be the centerpiece of their year-end photos edition. Among those featured in the photo was William James Mitchell Jr., better known as Billy Mitchell, by his friends and soon-to-be his enemies. This photo was taken at the height of 80s-era video game popularity, and Mitchell was recognized as holding multiple video game records. Mitchell set high score records on a number of video games in the 1980s and into the 1990s. He set a world record high score for Miss Pac-Man in January of 1985, and would go on to claim high scores in Donkey Kong Jr., Burger Time, and Centipede in subsequent years. Sorry ladies, he's married. All of these gaming feats led Billy Mitchell to be given the title Gamer of the Century. One of Billy Mitchell's most notable achievements in video game world record setting happened in 1982, where, in front of 20 of the best video gamers in the world, Billy Mitchell scored 874,300 points on Donkey Kong, setting a record that would stand for 18 years. Until Tim Serby passed it with... 879,200 points in August of 2000, which prompted Billy Mitchell to step up and reclaim his top score status in 2004 with 933,900 points, which nobody thought would ever be surpassed because who would attempt to beat a score that high on Donkey Kong? Who would attempt to do that? Well, Steve Wiebe. In 2003, Steve Wiebe was 35 years old and had recently lost his job at Boeing, and he found comfort in retreating to his garage and playing an original Donkey Kong arcade game. Steve Wiebe found Billy Mitchell's record online, and he decided he would beat it. So at his home in Seattle, Steve Wiebe played Donkey Kong at night after his wife and kids were asleep. Practice made perfect, and Steve Wiebe's practice paid off because Steve Wiebe beat Billy Mitchell's high score. Steve Wiebe not only beat Billy Mitchell's high score, he did something that was considered impossible. He scored 1 million points on Donkey Kong, a score higher than the game's points total could actually display. Steve Wiebe submitted his videotape recording of his gameplay to Twin Galaxies, an organization dedicated to tracking high scores in arcade games. And Twin Galaxies sent out not one, but two individuals to investigate and certify that Steve Wiebe's Donkey Kong machine was authentic and had not been modified in any way. Well, it turned out that the circuit board on this particular Donkey Kong machine had been provided by Roy Schilt, a self-proclaimed fitness guru 
and pickup artist who also claimed to have a high score on Missile Command. Now, unbeknownst to Steve Wiebe, Roy Schilt and Billy Mitchell had a feud over Schilt's high score. And because of this, Twin Galaxies disqualified Steve Wiebe's record-breaking feat, suspecting that the self-proclaimed fitness guru and pickup artist, Roy Schilt, may have tinkered with Steve Wiebe's Donkey Kong game board to help Steve Wiebe take down Billy Mitchell. It's getting good now, isn't it? Not to be deterred, Steve Wiebe traveled to New Hampshire, where he challenged Billy Mitchell in a face-off at Fun Spot Video Game Arcade in a mano a mano Donkey Kong showdown. But Billy Mitchell didn't accept the challenge. So, in front of a crowd of literally tens of people, Steve Wiebe sat down and set a new high score of 985,600 points and reached the kill screen on Donkey Kong. Now, kill screen is the last level that's programmed into a game, thus ending gameplay. And so Steve Wiebe did not replicate his 1 million point achievement in this particular marathon of playing Donkey Kong. <sighs> not to be outdone, Billy Mitchell suddenly produced a low quality VHS tape to Fun Spot to show that he, Billy Mitchell, had achieved 1,047,200 points playing Donkey Kong, and Twin Galaxies proclaimed Billy Mitchell king shit of Donkey Kong Mountain. And nine months later, the Guinness World Records published Twin Galaxies' record with Billy Mitchell at the top of Donkey Kong. Not to be outdone, Steve Wiebe challenged Billy Mitchell to a public competition in Hollywood, Florida. Where else would you do something like this? Billy Mitchell refused. Steve Wiebe in Hollywood, Florida failed to surpass the record. So he went back to his garage and on a now sanctioned Donkey Kong video game cabinet, he played by himself. And it was here that he beat Billy Mitchell's record with 1,049,100 points. Does all of this sound like it would make a great movie? That's because it is a great movie. It is the documentary film, The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters that you should most certainly see before you die. It is an amazing underdog story with a great villain, Billy Mitchell. This movie will make you stand up and cheer, unlike the subject of this episode, which will make you stand up and leave. You know, let's start at the beginning. French filmmaker Patrick Jean came up with an idea for a short movie in 2009 that would be an homage to the video games that he played as a kid. Now the idea was simple. What if classic 8-bit video game characters attacked New York City? The original Space Invaders would show up and drop down in rhythmic cadences, blasting slow-moving bullets that would hit cars where the cars would not explode but turn into 8-bit versions of themselves. Tetris blocks would fall down between skyscrapers, creating four rows of a Tetris column and bringing the rest of the building down. Pac-Man would make his way into the subway system, eating train cars in place of classic dots. Donkey Kong would toss barrels from atop skyscrapers. Pong balls would destroy the Brooklyn Bridge. All your old school favorites showing up to wreak mayhem. Patrick Jean shot the footage he needed of New York City over just a few days, then he returned to Paris where he spent about six months editing in all of the video game effects. Then he put it online, and then the internet found it. Over one million people watched the short film within the first 24 hours of it being posted. 
and immediately he started getting offers to turn this short movie into a feature film. One of those studios was Sony Pictures, and it was offering something that none of the others had. Adam Sandler, a bona fide movie star. Patrick Jean sold the film rights for six figures, and he was attached to direct the movie, and Adam Sandler would produce it with a chance that he might actually star in the film. Tim Hurleyhee produced a draft of the script that Hurleyhee himself said the studio hated. Then Hurleyhee and Sandler came up with the concept of having Kevin James be the president of the United States, and they rewrote the film incorporating this new element. Kevin James is a stand-up comedian and friend of Adam Sandler's. Kevin James had starred in his own successful sitcom, The King of Queens, and had a few successful movies under his belt, including Paul Blart Mall Cop and its sequel, Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, as well as appearing in the first two grown-up movies alongside his friend, producer, movie star, comedian Adam Sandler. As the script was rewritten and re-rewritten, the budget began to climb. And it got so big that the original short film's creator, Patrick Jean, was no longer in consideration to helm such a large movie as it would be his first feature film. And so it was to be that Chris Columbus became involved in this project in May of 2013. Columbus directed some of the biggest blockbuster movies of the 90s and early 2000s, including Home Alone and its sequel, Mrs. Doubtfire. He directed the first and second of the Harry Potter films, and at the time, Chris Columbus was in talks with Adam Sandler to discuss a remake of the South Korean film, Hello, Ghost, which is a comedy about a man's multiple suicide attempts. Side note, suicide comedies don't fly. Please see our review of the Burt Reynolds train wreck, The End, Pick 6 Movie, Season 1, Episode 6. Columbus read the script for Pixels, and he found it to be, quote, one of the most original ideas I had seen since the Amblin days. I guess we shouldn't have to say this, but the script really wasn't that original because it's based on another short film, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Columbus was excited about taking classic video game characters and putting them all in a single movie. Never before had Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and Cubert and Frogger and all of these other iconic characters appeared in the same movie at the same time. With Columbus in the director's chair, it was agreed that the original creator, Patrick Jean, would serve as the executive producer, and he got to shadow Chris Columbus during the filming of this potential blockbuster. With the script still being worked on, they at least had a director. Adam Sandler would play the lead role, and as mentioned earlier, Kevin James would play the President of the United States. It's kind of funny how that doesn't seem to be as ridiculous an idea as it was when this movie came out. Josh Gad was cast to play the conspiracy theorist in the film. Now, Gad was on fire at this time, having starred in the hit Broadway musical The Book of Mormon, and he had provided the voice of Olaf in the Disney animated musical Frozen. Peter Dinklage was brought in to play the brash video game playing nemesis, a real douchebag character with a mullet. Essentially, Adam Sandler is playing a fictionalized version of Steve Wiebe, and Peter Dinklage is playing a fictionalized version of Billy Mitchell. Jennifer Aniston was going to round out the cast as the female lead. Scheduling conflicts prevented Aniston from joining the movie, so Michelle Monaghan took her role. Monaghan had a long list of TV and movie roles to her credit, including her work in the Mission Impossible films. And at the time of casting, she was enjoying some real critical acclaim for her work on season one of HBO's True Detective. 
Saturday Night Live elder statesman Dan Aykroyd has a small cameo. Jane Krakowski, who starred in the Saturday Night Live-inspired and brilliantly funny TV show 30 Rock, plays the First Lady, a.k.a. Kevin James's wife. Brian Cox rounded out the cast as Admiral Porter, the military heavy who barks orders and yells a whole lot. Now, most of the movie was filmed in Toronto, Canada, with city streets masquerading as New York City or Washington, D.C., with much of the filming taking place at night. As digital effects were being finalized, Sony released the first trailer for the movie on March 19, 2015, and it received over 34 million views in under 24 hours, surpassing Sony's previous record of 22 million views for The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which starred Andrew Garfield and Jamie Foxx. That movie was a stinker. Pixels opened up on July 24, 2015, and it came in third at the box office right behind the Marvel superhero movie Ant-Man, ooh, I did like that movie, and the Illumination animated film Minions. Now, both of these films had been in theaters two and three weeks respectively when Pixels debuted. Fans of the animated TV series Futurama, of which I am one, noted similarities between a 2002 episode of Futurama titled Anthology of Interest 2 and the plot of the movie Pixels. Now, the plot of this Futurama episode had the show's main character, Fry, asked to see what the world would be like if it were more like a video game. And during this segment, we see President Richard Nixon preparing to sign a treaty with Ambassador Kong of the planet Nintendo 64. Ambassador Kong attacks Nixon and a state of war erupts. Due to his extensive knowledge of video games and from the 20th century, Fry is brought to the military headquarters where the Nintendians launch a full-on attack on Washington, D.C. and New New York. And so in the end, Fry takes the controls of an anti-aircraft weapon and destroys the alien ships as one would while playing the video game Space Invaders. So let's recap. Pixels is a feature film that took creative inspiration of a two-minute internet video mashed it up with a wonderfully charming documentary film, and then ripped off the plot of a sci-fi animated TV show to create what Pixel's director called, quote, one of the most original ideas I had seen. That sounds about right. But what about the creator of the movie's core premise? What does Patrick Jean think about this movie? Well, he's pretty honest about what he thinks. He said of the film, quote, I think the movie is not perfect but I like it. I feel the second half of the movie could have been better, but I know they had budget issues and they had to cut some stuff. Overall, Patrick Jean said he loves the humor of the film and he likes the visual effects. He said, it's a light action comedy movie and that's what we wanted to do in the first place. You know, and on top of all of this, he's got an executive producer credit. A lot of folks disagree with Patrick Jean as over at Rotten Tomatoes, Pixels currently has a 16% freshness rating. Lisa Kennedy with the Denver Post said of the film Pixels, Nostalgia is a wonder and a cheat. The right touchstone can make the most discerning moviegoer forgive a film as lazy as Pixels. Almost. End quote. Pixels is, at its core, a movie with 80s arcade nostalgia woven into the fabric of its core being. But it squanders the opportunity to take the brilliant inspiration of the original short film, the lovable heart of the characters from the documentary The King of Kong, and the clever and sharp wit of the sci-fi show Futurama, all from which this movie liberally borrows. If you ask the critics, 
there's not too much redeemable in the movie Pixels, except for one performance, that of the DARPA scientist, who if you stick around to the end credits, you will see was played by the King of Kong himself, Steve Wiebe, a man who found redemption in the most unlikely of places, in his garage, sitting in a chair, placed in front of a Donkey Kong arcade cabinet. Good for you, Steve. But what about Pixels? Are the uppity snobs over at Rotten Tomatoes right about how much this thing stinks? Is the movie void of any true merit as it masquerades cinematic thievery as comedic originality? And did Chris Columbus really direct this thing? Well, wait no more. Ladies and gentlemen, donkeys and Kongs, get out your quarters. It's 2015's Pixels. Welcome to Pick 6 Movies. I am Chad Cooper, joined as always by the effervescent, the articulate, the insightful Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I, I was trying to figure out how to how to play off uh, you calling me articulate, and I was going to say something really stupid, and then I realized what movie we were talking about tonight. I was like, oh, it'll come. <laughs> There's no reason to force my hand on that one. This is, this is episode 5, season 7 of Pick 6 Movies, where we are examining... Six movies, all based on video games. If you haven't been paying attention, what are you doing here? No, seriously, stick around. We love you. This is Pixels as the introduction set up. This was one of my choices for this particular season. Although it's not based on one particular video game, it's based on a whole sea of video games. And so I thought it would be fun to really dive in and take a look at this movie that has so much promise and just fails miserably. It's a real missed opportunity, as you said. Not only that, the effect in this movie are really cool. There is an element to this movie I genuinely like, which is perhaps uncommon this season. There, We have done whole movies where there is absolutely nothing to like about it. Mm-hmm. And this, I, at the very least, like when people in buildings and whatnots are turning into pixelated goo, eh, it's kind of neat. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, are we done? I- <laughs> Thanks for... Listen, everybody. Our movie opens up and we hear Cheap Tricks surrender, setting the tone for this particular film. At this point, you should really just abandon all hope and give up on this movie. The opening credits of the film are in this 8-bit font and there is this odd mix of production credits and film exposition that are woven together, like the actors and the crew, as well as the timestamp of when the movie is taking place. Because as the movie is opening, we see the production credits but then we also see summer 1982 Mm -hmm. which is why we're hearing cheap trick as our opening song cheap trick is never a great sign uh in anything when i hear cheap trick and especially the song surrender i always think of damone in fast times at ridgemont high trying to scout those tickets to the girl on the bleachers outside their high school when he's like he's like dina can you honestly tell me that you forgot the magnetism of robin zander and the charisma of rick nielsen how about the tunes i want you to want me the dream police. Da na 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 na. Your mama's alright. Your daddy's alright. They just seem a little weird. And the girl's just like, yeah, fuck, I'm not taking cheap trick tickets. 
This is 1981. These guys suck. <laughs> right, but that's the height of Cheap Trick power. You know, like now they still tour, but it's like, you know, a triple bill with Ario Speedwagon and who gives a shit. <laughs> when the movie opens up, we get to see a young Adam Sandler riding his bike through the streets of white suburbia, USA. And there's a little girl selling lemonade on the corner for 25 cents a glass. The little girl who's selling the lemonade is played by Sadie Sandler, who is the daughter of Adam Sandler. In real life, not in the movie, his actual child. That's great. At least she's getting a paycheck too. <laughs> Along with every childhood friend and well-wishers throughout his life. <laughs> it, it's honestly surprising you and I aren't in this just because of how much we loved Billy Madison when it first came out. <laughs> young Adam Sandler rides up to uh, this house and he quickly approaches a young Kevin James who is mowing someone's lawn. And young Adam Sandler is all excited because, hey, some place is just open. And then young kevin james he's real excited too he's so excited that he runs over and steals the jug of quarters from the little girl selling lemonade yeah fuck that girl these two assholes take their stolen money and they ride off to this mystery location which is called electric dreams factory which is a video game arcade where these two are going to spend this little girl's hard-earned money one small correction here chad it is not electric dreams factory it's electronic dream dreams factory i only point that out because electric dreams was the movie starring lenny von dolan and virginia Mad madsen about the guy what falls in love with his computer well ahead of the movie her uh and and uh i'm a big fan of that do you think that electric dreams factory used to be an adult bookstore that went out of business and they just opened it up under new management with a different business plan with the same name it, right it used to be remote controlled dildos <laughs> and now it's video games and and to be fair they're both recreational products inside the video game arcade we have all of the sights and sounds and let's be honest smells of a real 1980s arcade all around us it's filled with everything you would expect to see in a video game arcade. There's Pac-Man and Donkey Kong, Galaga, Centipede, Cubert. There's cigarette smoke. There are derelicts. There's homeless people, soon to be convicted pedophiles. There's open air drug deals, the unemployable. All of your favorites are here. Yeah, it's a real rogues gallery. It's like Batman's villains held a convention to play video games. The one thing that I associate with all this, when you say cigarette smoke, it's like all arcades of that era. It was the closest you as a child could get to going to a seedy bar. <laughs> You remember when you would roll up to a game and by the player one or player two button, there would just be that long burn of a cigarette where someone uh -huh. had started a smoke, set it down, and then just had a really good run on pole position. And it just burnt all of the metal and left this amber trail. My favorites were those uh, sit-down cabinets for like Pac-Man and that kind of thing that, that had the ashtray built right into them. <laughs> It was like, look, we know why you're here, all right? You are clearly not someone who deals well with impulse control. So get the pack of smokes, $10 worth of quarters, and you play Mrs. Pac-Man until the health or money runs out. During this scene in the arcade, we also very quickly get to see Toru Iwatani, the creator of Pac-Man, with his one and only appearance in this movie. And he's working on the famous game that he created. 
That's right. Later in this film, when this movie introduces the creator of Pac-Man, Toru Iwatani, it is not Toru Iwatani playing Toru Iwatani. It is an actor named Dennis Akiyama who is playing Toru Iwatani. We're through the looking glass here, people. Up is down, black is white. It's crazy. It's crazy. In this brief moment, we really see the genesis point of how this film, that should really be an easy layup, gets everything terribly wrong. Why is the creator of Pac-Man not playing the creator of Pac-Man in this movie? I don't know. Just like when the camera, when they were like, and action, he was just like, fuck! Like, cut, cut, got Toru. Your line is... My baby boy, I'm so proud of you. Let's, let's try this again. Take 47 and... Ah! I didn't even get action out that time. Toru, please, please pull up your pants. Oh, I swear to God, how much has he had to drink? Respectfully, I will not. <laughs> <laughs> Young Adam Sandler steps up to each of the video games and he is an immediate expert at playing all of them. And then young Kevin James, he's kind of a fat turd and he can't play video games. He gets his ass kicked real good at Galaga. <laughs> and that was one of those moments where it was like, I've been there. Young Adam Sandler, he's a master of Pac-Man and Donkey Kong among many other games. And then young Kevin James goes over to a claw machine and he wins a full-size Chewbacca mask suitable for use in a major motion picture. Young Kevin James puts the mask on and he struts around the arcade, probably trying to hide his identity in case the cops show up looking for that fat kid that stole that little girl's jug of quarters and then <laughs> be masked young kevin james walks over to young adam sandler and he says we've been here a few hours spending that little girl's money we stole and you're a natural at playing video games hey look at this flyer i just found to move the plot of the movie along he holds up this flyer and it says 1982 worldwide video arcade championships <laughs> Right. It's a real, like, you know, achievement in the field of excellence kind of competition that we've got going on here. It's like, what are video game words that we can put together that also sounds like a competition? Oh, how about world video game competition? Great. We cut to a shopping mall or maybe it's a hotel. And our two younger versions of this movie stars, they're riding down an escalator. And, you know, whenever I see anyone riding down an escalator, forever and always, I will view this as an ominous sign of terrible terrible things to come it really sucks that there like there is an individual out there that can ruin the concept of escalators <laughs> like how big an <laughs> asshole do you have to be where it's just like oh yeah fuck escalators Ugh. here we see young adam sandler and young kevin james they meet up with young josh gad and young josh gad is talking to a video game called dojo quest which is not a real video game but in this made-up movie on this video game there is this buxom blonde samurai sword wielding heroine and young josh gad is in love with this sexy video game character and it's not funny it's kind of sad and disturbing First of all, don't worry about doing the math on how old Josh Gad is compared to these old fuckers in this movie. Are you talking about when they're children or when they're adults? Whatever, man. Like, they're roughly the same age as children. And then you flash forward to the present day and Josh Gad is... And then everyone else is 74. <laughs> right. But forget all that as just a crushing plot hole that bothers me throughout the movie. The primary characteristic of this character is that he is all horned up about a video game representation. And he's a conspiracy theorist. Those are his two prongs. Right. Right. <laughs> 
right? Yeah, yeah. The left don't get you, the right one will. As far as likable uh, characteristics for a main character, uh, a bit of a pervert, and also incredibly gullible. So in the IMDb credits, the Adam Sandler and Kevin James characters, the actors who play them, their younger versions, are listed as thirteen-year-old insert name here and thirteen-year-old whatever, and young Josh Gad's character is eight-year-old version. So they're five years apart in the movie but as noted earlier when we see them as adults they're like decades apart yeah it's 20 years if it's a day (laughs) young adam sandler and young kevin james say like hey aren't you young josh gad and then young josh gad says who told you that the government because i'm this close to figure out the secret to the bermuda triangle Look, again, I was there as a kid. I I had the books. I really thought I was on to something. Kid Josh Gad is like, can I hang with you guys? And they're like, yeah, you're one of us because we ripped off this little girl and we're all terrible people. Let's run around together in what can loosely be called a gang. This all gets interrupted by a young Peter Dinklage arriving who refers to himself as Fire Blaster. Here's my question to you, Chad, in this scene. How does what is presumably a 15 or 16 year old maybe, how does he get an entourage consisting of these two sexy bimbos and some dudes rolling with them as well and all credit to being great at video games in the movie you referenced uh, in the introduction it, which is fantastic king of kong like at no point was billy mitchell rolling with a crew no this is like the one of those bridge too far things where i'm like they're like at this time in this place this is not that cool for those who don't know who peter dinklage is Peter Dinklage is a person of short statue. He was in Game of Thrones and Elf. I first saw him in The Station Agent, where he's very good. When Peter Dinklage eventually shows up in this movie, he is clearly the one actor having the most fun with his performance in this film. Yeah. However, I feel that casting him in this role is somewhat misguided. Felt very odd that they would cast someone this short in this role. I I, I couldn't wrap my head around it other than maybe it's like well peter dinklage is gonna be have the most fun but are you casting someone this short because he's kind of larger than life the whole thing just felt very just curious to me you know i also wonder if it's not just a thing of like oh my god we can get Tyrion lannister in the movie and he carries a fan base with him i mean i know you've never seen it chad but it turned out that game of thrones was a real big deal for a while was that his name in game of thrones yes okay and he was kind of universally considered one of the best things about that show i think that's kind of what accounts for it it's just right time right place for him of like how let's put him in a big movie you know? he's the best thing about this whole film yeah he absolutely is because like you said he's the one that seems to understand how dumb everything that's going on in the movie is and seems to care that's the real problem here in this movie chad we'll get to it in a minute there's one but- actor in this movie who don't care at all it sucks the energy out of the whole film. It deflates the entire movie. <laughs> Peter Dinklage is the one element of this that's like, there's a scene with him in prison that's actually pretty funny. And it's because he's funny. Speaking of shit that shows up where you're like, huh, I'll be damned. Dan Aykroyd uh-huh. shows up to remind us he's still alive. God bless him. Uh, speaking of UFOs and Bermuda Triangle. You know, off camera, he was talking about that shit left and right. Like, the greatest thing about Dan Aykroyd to me is 
what a crazy kook he is. Yes. Like, it started way back in Ghostbusters. This ain't nothing new. He's been on the this train for a long time. But as he gets older and doesn't have, you know, big movies to do anymore, he just goes on cable shows and talks crazy shit. Yeah. And it's the best. Because he sounds like he knows what he's talking about when he gets very much like, well, of course, you know, there was Bob Lazar and Bob Lazar, uh, you know, they investigated his claims in Area 51. Not a single person could disprove a thing. So we know pretty much for a fact that there's alternate dimensions where these beings are just hopping over. And uh, some of them are just joyriding. Like you see these uh, Stingray-based uh, spacecraft, clearly two-seaters. You see them zipping over a lot of the monuments and and so forth. These are just tourists. You know, they're not landing. The, the, the domestication of dogs is actually what led to the inbreeding of the Chupacabra, which you can see when there are dogmen hanging around the, the woods outside of the uh, Nesvetarian castles, outside of the prepositions of the, the ice pyramids. It's, 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 it's clearly science. And when you talk to the, the experts at NASA, they can point out that all of this has been proven through carbon dating and mesotheliomas. So it's it's all obvious. And you can see it in the documentary film that we made Ghostbusters too. I love hearing him talk crazy. <laughs> and so it's, a, again, a kind of a disappointment when he shows up and he's just like, all right, video games, and we're going to take this videotape and we're shooting it into space because got to get this movie going. Yeah, he says that NASA is going to record this event and send it into space to connect with extraterrestrial life if it does exist. And this is the pre-backstory as to what is going to happen to our movie later on. Although, when it happens, they don't explain any of it. Because, Chad, to what end would NASA ever be like, you know what we need to send into space? A cheap VHS tape of a bunch of shitty kids playing video games. With certain movies like that, you don't watch Ghostbusters and tease it apart because it's not realistic. Gary Shandling had a great joke about he was dating this woman and they went to see E.T. and during the scene where the bikes fly in the air and go in front of the moon at the end she leaned over and went oh yeah i am so sure <laughs> yeah that's my reaction to et as well if you frame up a movie within a certain reality you can play within that this movie really should be more in the vein of like air bud you mean or like or president monkey or something or you know like nothing about this what you you have been sitting on president monkey all these years and have not shared this with me (laughs) but you know what i mean like there are certain movies that are more fantastical and ridiculous and then you play in that world but this movie just doesn't even create the guardrails to be safe it's so fast and loose with everything that's going on that you're just like well i don't understand where there is a line that can be crossed because you've never drawn that line to begin with right nothing's ever grounded so when the weird stuff happens like that's the thing about ghostbusters is genuinely scary stuff is happening to characters that seem to be in a different movie and that's kind of what makes ghostbusters great no point in this movie is it ever explained why or how or who or what is going on also i'm kind of curious like here's the side movie i kind of want to see chad the story of the girls in the entourage for kid peter dinkler Mm-hmm. of like what led them to this place they seem to know each other they're talking a lot while he's doing his thing were they part of a modeling company were they hired what are they like i have a real like roma approach to it of a day in the life of of these ladies it would end with them being hired and or falling into this group boogie night style i suppose of peter dinklage and his video game entourage our video game competition wraps up in a real 
quick fashion through like this 19 second montage where young Adam Sandler and young Peter Dinklage end up on the stage with a very old Dan Aykroyd and he explains the rules of this competition that are not explained at all and let's be honest nobody cares and here we have young Adam Sandler and young Peter Dinklage and the two of them are going to face off playing Donkey Kong to see who is the world champion of video games boy that King of Kong is a good movie it's so good I just yeah I mean this is directly I mean not in this exaggerated competition but it is but it kind of is I mean it's a little more Hollywooded up here but this happened like this is Steve Wiebe and and Billy Mitchell playing Donkey Kong against one another and within King of Kong it's this incredible moment and within this movie it's just like oh yeah that that was a great moment in another movie because they don't really know each other there's no real stakes here right until Adam Sandler loses and then Peter Dinklage or kid Peter Dinklage rubs it in and is just like you know you're a real piece of shit but during this scene when they're playing young Peter Dinklage is wearing these oversized smoked aviator glasses and while he's playing he kind of kicks them down to the tip of his nose spoilers he's got cheat codes on his glasses which involves like three lines of scrimshaw or something can you just remember that it's not that much it's one of the formulas on the board in the movie contact i don't know what (laughs) but that's how he's able to beat him and this is going to come up later in our movie so put a pin in that when uh young peter dinklage is uh crowned you know grand champion he rubs young adam sandler's face in it and so young kevin james comes over and and consoles young adam sandler by telling young adam sandler that he could maybe go to mit someday and invent something that'll make him a millionaire oh wait not just that chad he could also marry olivia newton john so it's also superficial beauty and sex so money superficial beauty and sex yeah these two start talking about who's hotter olivia newton john or sheena easton or samantha fox or madonna i mean samantha fox is a real trashy pick in that mix that's really that's your your hustler to the (laughs) the playboys of olivia newton john we then cut to present day where adult kevin james as we know and love him is sitting on the other side of a table across from adult adam sandler and these two are tossing around the names of present day women discussing who is hotter and they're throwing out the likes of scarlett johansson and halle berry and Katy perry grown men having this discussion in public it is pathetic do you think that the actresses you mentioned if they ever saw this movie would be repulsed by kevin james just speaking their name i was repulsed by kevin james speaking their name and especially when they get to halle berry and they're both just like mm, yeah halle berry and you're like oh god just let's table all of this for another movie before we get into the movie proper i'd like to touch on a subject you brought up earlier about adam sandler as you noted we both find the film billy madison to be very fun I think there are some moments in that film that don't age too well in light of changing cultural norms. And I really thought that Adam Sandler would go on to do more serious work like Punch Drunk Love or Spanglish. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the case. He does, you know, a little bit here and there. But for the most part, he seems to stick to kind of his traditional Adam Sandler comedies. Well, but they've evolved. Like Billy Madison and even Happy Gilmore, I I would argue, are absurd in a way. Like there's a, a clown singing a song and Billy Madison for no good reason and that's kind of the stuff that i find really funny about it still this doesn't have that this is just it's him being an asshole which he was in those movies also but it doesn't have any of the absurdity you mean like chris farley making out with an oversized penguin while the penguin rubs farley's dick 
<laughs> yes. Yes. That kind of thing. Good, clean American fun, Chad. Kids. Kids. Get in here. Kids, you're never going to believe it. There's this penguin just rubbing this gentleman's junk here in this movie. Now, I, I know I said you shouldn't watch anything but Disney. <laughs> But I saw this and I got so tickled. <laughs> I thought to myself, you know what? You know who would love this? The kids. So kids, I, I got it. Let me give you a little backstory. So there's Chris Farley fella in this movie. He was inappropriately, one might say, uh, suggesting that he had had sex with uh, the teacher lady here in the film. Uh, but anyway, long story short, here he is with a, a giant penguin rubbing his cock through his pants. <laughs> and I thought you might want to. I know you got show and tell coming up. And here's a real tell for you. You tell the class about this, what you saw in the movie, about the big penguin, the man in a penguin suit, just rubbing all over the dick of Chris Farley right here. I think that Adam Sandler is terribly miscast in this movie. When it came out, he was just shy of being 50 years old. And in this movie, he looks old and he looks tired, which is weird because Kevin James is two years older than Sandler in real life. And he looks a decade younger. I will disagree with you in that I think there is a world where Adam Sandler gave a shit. 15 years before this movie came out. <laughs> right. But I, I don't know that, yes, casting a modern day Adam Sandler is a bad move, but I would say that about any movie, not just this one in particular. Because if he gave a shit and, and actually turned in a kind of a high energy performance as the lead of this movie, I think it could kind of work. But because he doesn't ever show up in this film, it's like I said, it sucks the energy out of every scene. Like this scene with him and Kevin James, the entire time he's just like, eh, and but it's that quiet. Quiet Adam Sandler that you get through the whole film. It's that, oh yeah, so uh, uh, I'm just gonna go. Uh, uh, hey, you're the you're my best friend, right? And uh, I guess we're gonna go outside. Uh, you know, he he doesn't ever explode. He doesn't do anything that's wacky and goofy. It's just that. So uh, uh, you know, you know, it's really hot that uh, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, she, oh yeah, she's hot. She's hot. And and you never get the shabado. It, like it never it never hits that that mm -hmm. next gear because he doesn't give a shit man right all right so here's a big reveal in this stupid ass movie where they're doing the the women thing and and kevin james starts talking about how my wife just doesn't get me and we just haven't had that much time to spend together and then there's a pullback with the camera and you realize that kevin james is surrounded by secret service and it turns out chad kevin james is the president of the united states again one of those things that seemed crazy when you saw it and then a couple of years later it's like oh all right all right this all this all tracks well also the way that they reveal it is that up on cnn they show a clip where president kevin james is reading to children and he can't get through a book because he is partially literate slash mostly illiterate it, we then come back to adam sandler laughing at his friend kevin james and he goes hey buddy you gotta learn to read it was the only moment in this movie that made me laugh out loud because <laughs> <laughs> Sandler's just busting his friend's balls. You know, I was a little too caught up in the fact that we're making a 9-11 joke here. Because, like, the cut to him reading is kind of a direct riff of Bush reading the storybook and being informed of, like, <laughs> hey, one of the greatest tragedies to ever befall the nation has just occurred. <laughs> 
And as you see the, that moment of horror settle over George W. Bush's face, what someone thought was, one of these days, this is going to be real funny. And it happened in this script. But in this scene, Adam Sandler is just being Adam Sandler for a brief yes. moment. He's kind of laughing it up, which in the right role, under the right circumstance, is as funny as it gets to me. I think that Adam Sandler can be charming and offensive at the same time. But in this movie, yes. he is not charming nor offensive he is just an asshole his character is a down on his luck computer nerd who was dealt a blow by life and things didn't turn out the way that they could nay should have been sailor does not really play this fictional sad sack loser that is more in line with your mill houses or your doctor ventures or your tv's frank from mystery science theater 3000 this role would have been better suited for like Steve Carell or maybe even Jim Carrey. I think those are two actors that can be more kind of sad, but at the right. same time be able to be heroic. That kind of uh, 40 year old virgin uh, Steve Carell. Yeah. Is is kind of ideal. You know who could have made this movie the, the blockbuster that it should have been? Put it in the hands of Seth Rogen and his merry band of dope-smoking misfits, and sure. this movie would be immeasurably funnier. It would actually even be a bit edgier because you know that they would be there would be a lot more like first-person shooter stuff in it and a lot of wee jokes and stuff like that. Yeah, just imagine Seth Rogen high during the centipede scene of this movie. Like, that's just your imagination. Like, oh, yeah, that, that's much, much better, and it doesn't even exist. Oh, we got to shoot a centipede. <laughs> President Kevin James tells Adam Sandler, uh, as they're leaving this bar, I think, I guess they were just hanging out, drinking, talking about hot actresses. They go outside, and it turns out that Adam Sandler works for this knockoff of Best Buy, and he's part of their version of Geek Squad called, like, the Nerd Herd or something. And how did Best Buy not sponsor this movie? Every Adam Sandler movie is just rife with product placement and sponsorships i'm struck as to how that did not happen i think the fact that he ends up drinking wine in his customer's closet mm -hmm. was a point where they were like i don't know that we can advocate the this behavior well clearly you've never leveraged the services of best buys geek squad you know what I, I apparently i'm missing out you think they just come over and watch a movie sometime i think no if you're lonely come on they're just like chardonnay or cabernet i got a box Fantastic. of each also when kevin james emerges from this bar one of the there, there's a rope line of people they're just like you're the worst you suck and someone just yells murderer <laughs> and i was like i don't know what the joke is there other than like apparently he's a real shitty president is kevin james James a Republican or a Democrat in this movie? I think they stay cleverly away from that. Well, not cleverly. This movie does not deserve to be called clever at any point. But um, illiterate, and he's clearly patterned after a, a Bush type. But to repeat my point earlier, you cannot view this movie through the lens of reality. You, you, with Kevin James being the president. The movie is ridiculous. I mean, just top to bottom. And it should be viewed as such. Similarly, in a movie where like a child becomes president or a dog becomes president or, or a monkey president monkey like ever since you've said that i've had taglines for that movie rolling through my head like you know this summer you're gonna go ape for the new commander-in-chief <laughs> hail to the chimp <laughs> oh yes hail to the chimp indeed 
<laughs> oh man now i see like the this big like orangutan behind the desk in the oval office that's the front of the the vhs in my mind it's a vhs i don't know that you could make president monkey and and release it on anything like a modern format i remember a sitcom i believe on nbc and it was during the heyday of orangutan being on like in movies from the any which way movies and stuff like that but it was a movie where a talking monkey became president of the united states oh my god Chad. i can't believe i don't know about this have a t-shirt advertising it and the poster of the movie mr smith is an american sitcom that aired on nbc from september 23rd through december 16th 1983 the title <laughs> character was a talking orangutan mr smith and was canceled after its 13 episodes were aired the orangutan who played mr smith had previously been featured in the 1978 film every which way but loose and its sequel any which way you can after the cancellation of mr mr smith poncho the orangutan developed a wicked drinking problem never reaching the heights of the success of mr smith or any which way you can again he was headed straight for the gutter originally a part of a traveling act called atwood orangutans cha-cha and bobo are separated from their trainer tony atwood after he is knocked unconscious in a car accident while the act is traveling from arizona to california frightened by the commotion caused by the accident cha-cha and bobo both run away cha-cha is eventually found and sent to a government research center in washington dc weeks later cha-cha escapes from the center and ends up in a research lab where he finds an experimental mixture to increase his human intelligence being developed after drinking the mixture cha-cha is able to talk his voice was provided by series executive producer ed weinberger and is later determined to have an iq of 256 he is then renamed mr smith and due to his eye intelligence becomes a political advisor mr smith's old trainer tony becomes his assistant while mr smith attempts to solve various political problems and his surrounding staff which includes secretary raymond haloki played by leonard fry attempts to keep his identity hidden from the general public so he didn't become president but he did work as a political advisor so it was a more of a beltway satire i guess so <laughs> so what's going on in pixels a movie i care way less about than president monkey which by the way would it would star tony danza as the head of the secret service cut to nighttime in yigo guam which is the northernmost village of the united states territory of guam and it's the location of anderson air force base and from the sky we see what appears to be one large spaceship emerge opening up a hatch for multiple smaller spaceships to appear this is essentially the opening of galaga or galaxia i don't know which one i can't tell them apart and all the smaller ships they head down towards earth and as they fly down they crash into a sign noting that Anderson Air Force Base is just down the road a few miles away. And upon crashing into the sign, the sign transforms and it turns into these small three-dimensional cubes known as voxels. They're not pixels, Bo. They're voxels. Pixels are two-dimensional. Voxels are three-dimensional. And if you're not careful... You just might learn something. Yeah, dummies. <laughs> yeah, stupid listeners. You didn't know nothing. I'll stop attacking our listeners, especially after that Mr. Smith journey we went on. So Adam Sandler in the next scene shows up at a swanky house as part of this nerd herd or whatever. He's wearing this bright orange suit. He looks like he should be out on the street doing prison release work, picking up trash. You know, it reminded me of the story about Wes Craven developing the sweater for freddy krueger in the original nightmare on elm street go on where he learned that 
the colors red and green placed in, close together like that in the stripe pattern is actually unpleasant to look at for the human eye. And so that's the reason Freddy Krueger wears those colors and it's all striped and, and it's supposed to be unnerving on a psychological reptilian brain level. That's how I feel about his uniform in this movie. <laughs> where just looking at it makes me dislike him as a person in this movie as a whole. Sandler's performance in this whole scene, or this, excuse me, this whole movie really displays new levels of not giving a shit on film. Well, so he has to announce himself with this rhyme, this, you know, corporate song about, like, hey, I'm here to be a nerd herd. <laughs> and the kid who answers the door is like, do you have to say that every time? And he's like, yeah, yeah, can you just let me in? Yeah, just let just let me in. I, I'm, I'm going to come in and I'm going to hook up all of your Sony products, like Sony PlayStation 4, the greatest PlayStation that that's ever been. It's a pretty good PlayStation, better than PlayStation 3, and twice as good as the PlayStation 2. Boy, there is just Sony shit all over the place uh, that he is putting in. It's pretty great. This kid tells Sandler that his dad cheated on his mom with a 19-year-old Pilates instructor, and then Sandler immediately says, hey, uh, you got any pictures of uh, that, that woman that your dad was fucking? And I'd like to see those pictures. I was just thinking, are we supposed to like this character? Because this whole scene just made me feel sorry for him and then just kind of repulsed by him. Oh, if you thought that was creepy, Chad, wait till Michelle Monaghan shows up. And Adam Sandler is practically jerking off in front of her. He's just like... Oh, wow. You guys are incredibly hot. And maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought you were going to be like fat and ugly, uh, hairy chin woman, uh, uh, you know, who was hot in high school but fell apart after having all of her kids. But you're real, real hot. Right. And she is surprisingly more bemused than horrified by this stranger in her home evaluating her worth as a person. He tells her he didn't brush his teeth and that he lives in a studio apartment. And <laughs> yeah. this woman's name is Violet. And she's the mom of this kid. And we're going to later find out that she works for the federal government and at the Pentagon. And Violet is standing in her home. This house cost well over a million dollars. And Sandler in this situation has nor the looks, nor the money, nor the charm to even consider the possibility of not wooing this woman, having a conversation with her in the aisleway of a grocery store. It's an embarrassingly sad situation where a man is fighting so far out of his weight category it's it's not gonna happen ever right and if it did it's it becomes one of those like lifetime movies where like all her friends are giving her shit about who she's dating but she's doing it for love i thought you were gonna say like a porno well that too <laughs> yeah the the rich wife at home and the the cable installer in quote shows up <laughs> when she walks away sandler checks out her ass and violet turns around and she busts him looking at him and she just chuckles like <laughs> oh you you're the star of this movie in the real world this lady's calling up best buy or circuit city or whatever the hell company this nerd squad ripped off and she's probably going to call 911 to have the cops come get him if he hasn't been fired already here's another problem i have with with this movie as a whole is that I don't think it understands video game culture. And I don't mean to be an advocate or some sort of anthropologist when it comes to this kind of thing. But there's a, a bit here where the kid is like, hey, how about you hook up all my shit and get out of here and stop hitting on my mom? And Adam Sandler is like, 
you know, back in my day, I had we had arcades that we'd go to and we'd go leave the house and, you know, socialize. Man. It's one of those moments where I'm like, yeah, that's true, but arcades just haven't been a thing since, what, mid-90s? I mean, whenever the Nintendo... Yeah, like in, like in the late 80s. Right, and it's just like, well, the culture shifted and that's gaming came home and that's where it is now. Like, there there is nothing, and you can speak to this being a parent yourself, there is nothing more popular than online video games in the world of anything. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those eponymous things. And it just, like, it, it doesn't paint Adam Sandler in this movie as, like, he's the old pro. It just paints him as being woefully out of touch yes. with the thing he used to be good at. Violet comes back in the room and she rightfully says, what are you two talking about? Why are, why are you talking to my son? Did you touch him? Get out of my house, pervert. I made some of that last part up. She didn't really say all that. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo shows up to interview her for the Inquirer, you know. <laughs> It's a spotlight joke. Violet then gets a message on her phone and she goes upstairs and Sandler finishes up the TV and video game installation. And then he has the audacity to go upstairs in this home looking for this woman. And he just wanders into her bedroom. A total stranger wanders through your house and goes into your bedroom. What? No, it is a real creep move. I, I think the last person to get away with this for, you know, a couple of decades was Dennis Rader. <laughs> I'm thinking Michael Myers and that ended poorly. Anybody who who sneaks into a client's bedroom is probably grabbing panties. Let's be real. <laughs> I almost wrote that joke down, but I didn't because it made me sound like the weirdo. I'm glad you said it. Oh, I'm happy to wear that mantle on this <laughs> show. I don't think... <laughs> Violet, it turns out, is sitting in the floor of her closet and she's drinking wine and crying. And most people... I've been there, Chad. <laughs> most Today. People... Most people would see this and think, oh, that's sad. And then Sandler comes in and he's like, eh, you know, uh, I cry and drink a lot too. And most people see this and think, well, that seems thoroughly plausible in the reality of this movie. Sandler goes in and he sits down with Violet and she's drinking her wine out of a child's sippy cup. I think that's supposed to be a joke. Right. She has uh, like a preteen son. Why does she have a sippy cup at all at this point? I didn't understand any of that. We cut back to Andrew's Air Force Base where there's an explosion and here all of the voxels are just falling everywhere. And then one of these unnamed soldiers, he walks outside and he gets sucked up in the air by this ray of blue light and he is turned into a series of voxels as well. They're not pixels. Get your head out of your ass. Right, but it's one of those things where at the end of the scene it's like, well, all right, I have no idea what any of that means and it doesn't really ever pay off. Uh, like he just is a character that just shows up later. And, and, and again, I know that sometimes you you show these moments in movies like this like your independence days and whatever they have these minor characters but at least even in a movie like that those minor characters they they at least take a stab at making them people as opposed to just hey here's a guy who works on the base now he got sucked up into a ship see you later movie and that's it like there's no emotional or narrative weight to any of it aside from anchoring this movie in 80s nostalgia you really don't need the whole scene with them being kids start it with the attacks happening this guy gets sucked up then you introduce your characters 
that early stuff doesn't add anything. I would agree with that. We cut back to uh, Michelle Monaghan and Adam Sandler in her closet still, and she's complaining about her ex-husband, and Adam Sandler looks bored as he does in much of this movie, but in this case, it's because they're, <laughs> he dr- he's drinking wine direct from the bottle in, in her closet. Well, he didn't bring a sippy cup. Right. It's in his van. <laughs> and and so then he just spews this, this horse shit as she's complaining about like her husband having run off with this younger woman and he's like eh, maybe you know we, we met the wrong people and now we can meet the, the right people well he tells her I, I had an ex-wife and uh we were trying to, to make a baby and the the doctor that was helping us to make the baby he fucked my wife my ex-wife and he got her pregnant but not me and so um i was married and we got a lot in common and we day drink and, uh, you know, I work for uh, uh, Best Buy, sort of, and you work somewhere else, I'm guessing. And uh, I was thinking that maybe we could hook up and I could put a baby in you. Like He goes in for a kiss and immediately the one time in this in this movie where I'm like, well, that seems like reasonable behavior from Michelle Monaghan. She's like, hey, 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 what are you doing? After she shuts him down, Adam Sandler basically calls her a snob mm-hmm. where he goes on this big rant about how she's, you know, he thought that she she was cool or something but as soon as he started to kiss her he realized that she was just this you know stuck up lady in the suburbs and then he gets a call from the white house violet calls sandler out for trying to kiss her and she says i don't think my rebound guy is a 210 pound person who installs flat screen tvs which look i get the installs flat screen tvs comment but 210 pounds That's some real Hollywood bullshit when it comes to the acceptable weight levels of a person that you would hook up with. 210, that's Hollywood fat and Midwest skinny, man. (laughs) You are 100% right. Especially at his age, Jesus Christ, he's 50 years old. If he's keeping it under 250, he's doing it right. (laughs) Sandler's mobile phone rings and it's President Kevin James asking can you get to the White House? And Adam Sandler says like, yeah, sure thing, buddy. I'll be there like 15 minutes. Sandler is Kevin James' version of Sean Hannity. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it turns out he, uh, he can't figure out what to do about Iran. I, I got to go. <laughs> so Sandler uh, gets ready to split, but not before telling Violet that he's an amazing kisser uh, because uh, nerds appreciate it more. And I want to ask you, do you remember in that movie Revenge of the Nerds when that one nerd at the end says that nerds are better at having sex because sex is all they think about and then at the end of the movie i think he wears like a darth vader mask and he pretends to be the cheerleader's boyfriend and then he rapes that woman Uh uh-huh the sneaky sex of revenge of the nerds (laughs) yeah again this is this will tell you all you need to know about the 80s listeners if you never saw this movie (laughs) at the end of the movie the lady that he has disguised himself to fuck discovers that she has been secretly raped by this nerd and she's like good i'm so glad we're together now (laughs) the 80s are a magical time man yeah they sure were for a very particular group of people (laughs) hint it wasn't the women or the gays or black people or asian people and i'm only referring to the movie revenge of the nerds the movie soul man tells you all you need to know about the 80s (laughs) (laughs) the fact that that movie exists it's like that's a national crime (laughs) 
I have Soul Man as part of three different potential seasons for this show, and I can't bring myself to do any of them because I feel like we would get in so much trouble. Not just trouble. Like, the whole movie would just be like, can you believe this? (laughs) A movie where the basic premise is blackface. (laughs) And this isn't some, like, Song of the South shit where it happened in the, like, early 60s and they were like, get it out of (laughs) here. This was in the 80s. James Earl Jones is in Soul Man. (laughs) And Ray Dawn Chong. She was in it. Right, as the black one. That's how (laughs) (laughs) how comfortable with race we were in the 80s. It was like, let's make sure that the black lady ain't too black. (laughs) Fuck's sake. (laughs) Outside of uh, the house, both uh, both Violet and Sandler, uh, they get a call that they got to get somewhere quick. So they both jump in their cars and they rush down the road, respectively. And they stop at a red light and Sandler is now brushing his teeth because earlier he said that he didn't. And then Violet stops and she sees him scrubbing away in his mouth. Why does Sandler have a toothbrush and toothpaste in his Best Buy knockoff van? That seems like something that maybe a drunk would have to hide their booze breath when they get back to work. Oh, that's right. He was day drinking. This all makes sense now. This is coming together. I also think we're we're getting a real hard look at his studio apartment. <laughs> so, a uh, sailor shows up at the White House and he tells the guard there. He's like, he's like, hey, uh, this uh, there's this violent lady behind me. She's crazy stalker. You need to uh, prevent her from getting into the White House. And then she shows up and she flashes her federal government badge and she has access to the White House too. So just to, again, let's level set here. Violet is showing up at work drunk as well. <laughs> well, you know, not sober. I don't know that I would call it drunk. <laughs> I would call this... <laughs> This is more like buzzed. Advising the president is still impaired. (laughs) Advising the president. It turns out that Violet is a lieutenant colonel with DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, which is the agency of the United States uh, Defense Department responsible for the development of emerging technologies uh, for the military. Or if you ask Dan Aykroyd, well, what DARPA does, they uh, recovered some of those (laughs) UFOs from Roswell back in uh, the 50s. And uh, ever since then, they've been reverse engineering uh, those crashed UFOs. Now, they recovered three bodies. Obviously, two of them were dead. One of them lived. Now, during the interrogation process, we learned that it was actually the Alpha Centauri aliens that were here mostly for resources. Uh, then there are the reptilians. Now, the reptilians... Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's a good Aykroyd. Once they get inside, uh, President Kevin James calls Adam Sandler into the Oval Office and Violet sees Sandler go in and she's all like, what? And Adam Sandler steps into the Oval Office and it's here you really get to see how old and tired he looks in this movie. Sandler goes over to President Kevin James and Sandler uh, is informed by his buddy, our Air Force base in Guam was attacked. And Sean Hannity, I mean, Adam Sandler says, by who? And President Kevin James says, I'm not sure. That's what I wanted to ask you. What in the name of fuck is going on in this movie? Yeah, well, again, our illiterate president of of the film (laughs) is just like, look, I don't know a goddamn thing at all. 
I, whatever you think a person should know, I know way less than that. So uh, I got to have my, my old childhood pal come in and advise me. So in theory, nobody here thinks I'm a Boris Johnson level idiot. I know that this whole season I have engaged in more fan fiction than you, and I do not feel mm-hmm. happy about that. I'm embarrassed a little. But why wouldn't you make Kevin James a smart person who gets elected president? And then when all of this weird shit happens, he's like, I know someone who is an expert in this. It's my buddy. And you bring him in and Sandler is a bit of a ding dong. But this is the area where he is a subject matter expert. And he rises to the occasion using the worthless knowledge and skills that he has to save the earth. You can't have a group of idiots all running around like this because then it's the three stooges. Even in Ghostbusters, you had Egon and, you know, certain levels of knowing what in the hell is going on. And Ray also. Right. But but in this movie, they're all just sort of stumble bumming and crashing into each other, being marginally functional human beings let me throw a little insult on this injury real quick chad to take a very small step back there's a moment where when he's going into the oval office it's one of those deals where michelle monahan is like oh he's being called into the oval office while i'm being called to the situation room adam sandler says somebody's more important that is a ripoff of the the somebody's closer from happy gilmore and it's one of those things where it's like oh yeah i remembered when i really thought adam sandler was funny and then we cut to this scene of him inside the oval office and you know kevin james is kind of spilling out all the details and he's just told like hey figure out what you can i guess and then kevin james leaves and immediately adam sandler sits down in the president's chair after being specifically asked not to just because he's a dick in this movie and he's just not (laughs) but it's not like a funny beat it's just like oh he's just a jerk who his best friend who's the fucking president right is like hey don't sit in this chair and he immediately does the one thing he's asked not to do and it doesn't make him a rebel it's not like that peter vinkman type where it's like oh he's this charming rogue he's just a jerk we cut back to the war room and here we see brian cox and he's this war hawk who's wanting to blow everything up and then there's a bunch of back and forth between political experts and they are eventually interrupted by adam sandler who arrogantly comes in and says can someone take grandpa's keys away before he drives us into a ditch as you noted sandler is just an arrogant asshole In this scene, though, he has knowledge that the attack came from a version of Galaga that was originally released, but then recalled. And then the one that everyone knows more widely had a different attack formation. And then Violet, who's sitting in the room, somewhat sober, calls out Adam Sandler's expertise on this subject matter because he works for this Best Buy knockoff and she works for DARPA. And then Brian Cox barks out this curmudgeonly military point of view that if the word gets out that the U.S. was attacked by an alien race using video game technology, they would not only mock the president in the news, they would impeach him. That really feels like two extremes, mocking and on the other end of the bell curve, impeachment. And let's be honest, this is nowhere close to an impeachable offense. He has not broken any law. There has been no formal investigation spanning two years, ultimately delivering a 400 plus page report outlining engagement in numerous illegal offenses it's nothing like that no no very dissimilar um (laughs) boy you know when you put it like that really 
really cer- certainly suggest a course of action. <laughs> um, after Adam Sandler identifies like, hey, th- it-, it was specifically this 82 version of Galaga because of this glitch. There's this moment where Michelle Monaghan is asking some questions and Adam Sandler asks Kevin James, why is she allowed to speak twice? And it was one of those like, ooh, mm-hmm. this, this whole scene just took a gross turn. It feels like you're watching a frat boy production of that pixel short film Mm -hmm. it has that mentality it's just such a bro kind of vibe to this movie that i don't think it quite fits what the movie ought to be after everyone sort of objects to idiot sandler being there kevin james kind of concedes and says you need to leave this meeting and on his way out sandler the hero of our movie proceeds to mock everyone in the room by calling them nicknames based on their physical characteristics he calls one woman gandalf and he calls this other guy harry potter because he has glasses i think sandler might be a republican in this movie based on his tendency to gin up nicknames on the fly like that yeah there there is a bit of trump in that of hey their eyebrows did you see that the defense secretary in the scene is played by screenwriter tim hurley and you can really tell that it's someone who's not an actor because everyone in this scene looks like they're straight from a casting call he's all pasty white and his hair is thinning and he's got this gerber patch of random hair popping out of the top of his head during this scene all of the people in this room most likely have advanced degrees and years of experience and they certainly make much more money than adam sandler's character in this film he's just this douchebag friend of the boss and all these people have to put up with it It, it, that's exactly the thing it's like you know when your wife her friend shows up to tell you all the the wrong things you're doing in in lawn maintenance or some shit right where you're just like look you should not even be here for this discussion sandler leaves and he jumps in his best buy knockoff van and he's driving home and slowly from up behind him arises a full-sized adult version of josh gad who startles adam sandler whereupon adam sandler gives josh gad one of those bruce lee reverse back of the hand vertical face plants which sends josh gad tumbling out of the van and onto the streets of washington dc and then sandler gets (laughs) out of the van with a baseball bat which i'm guessing is standard issue form of protection by this best buy knockoff service for which he works and josh gad says hey i'm ludlow the grown-up version of the kid you saw earlier in the movie and sandler says ludlow ludlow forgettable last name the wonder kid from earlier in the movie who wears glasses just like you have on yeah and he's like how how do i know it's really you and he says well i was gonna call you but my phone's been tapped since i discovered the zapruder tape was edited and jfk shot first and that's where i'm saying is like oh yeah yeah ludlow okay well whenever josh gad talks it always sounds like he is so excited to have a really big secret and then every now and again his speech gets interrupted by these bursts of him doing a chris farley screaming impression like in this scene he's just like I was in the back of your van and you didn't even know I was there. And then you got in and you drove away and I scared you and you hit the brakes and holy shnikes that hurt. Yeah. Like all I know him from is, is like this and the book of Mormon. And you know him from frozen. I mean, even if you never saw the movie, you've seen the snowman jumping around. I see him jumping around, but I, I, I mean, I, and I think I saw the movie, but I don't remember nothing about it. Right. Josh Gad says that he has been in Sandler's van ever since he went into that nice lady's house and that she's cute. Is every man in this movie creepy and disturbing and disgusting? I sent a little drone into the closet. I was watching. I left a little bit of me all over her house and in your van. 
Josh Gad takes Sandler back to his lair of weirdness, which is in the basement of his grandma's house. And it's a typical Hollywood interpretation of conspiracy theorists. There's a board with a lot of pictures with red string attaching from one location to another. This is the type of behavior that's only taken seriously when the main character is a police officer and does it. In every other instance, you're just a cuckoo brain. I was going to say the other exception is a beautiful mind, but that's a whole movie about a cuckoo brain. (laughs) which by the way is how it was described to uh academy voters that year ron howard directs the touching story of a cuckoo mine for your consideration a movie about a brain that has gone cuckoo (laughs) i have to believe that a miracle is possible here with your cuckoo brain cuckoo cuckoo it's all, it's all about game theory. Game theory, huh? <laughs> Josh Gad has posters all over the place in his basement of Lady Lisa from that Dojo Quest video game. And there's samurai swords all over the place. And there's candles all around. He's got this shrine set up to this character. He's a weirdo. Rightfully so, Adam Sandler does point out that if Lady Lisa were a real person, that Josh Gad would have 17 restraining orders against him. Which, you know what, let's be honest. If Lady Lisa were a real person, Josh Gad would have already murdered her and buried her body parts in four non-adjacent states he would have trophies though like her head would be somewhere in that room (laughs) it'd be in his stomach if i wear her skin i become her holy shnikes josh gad says that the reason that these attacks are happening is that the tape that dan Aykroyd mentioned being sent up into space by nasa was found by aliens and that they looked at the tape and they saw the video games and now they are attacking earth and so josh gad pulls out this vhs tape where he recorded an episode of one tree hill and in the middle of the show it's interrupt it's interrupted by uh, a presidential announcement from ronald reagan and for a brief moment he gets an alien face and he says people of earth we are a race from the planet Valula. And then it cuts to Tammy Faye Baker and she's spouting off some nonsense. And then we get to see Madonna essentially giving the plot saying that we have seen your your message and we are going to come destroy Earth. And it's each of us gets three lives. If we destroy you three times, we're going to destroy Earth. If you destroy us three times, then we go away, I guess. I, I suppose that's not what ha- anyway. It, it, it right it's here's the loose plot of this film laid bare and every time you win or lose the winner gets to take a trophy and that's why they sucked up that soldier in guam we cut to the white house where kevin james is watching and he seems confused by all this what right he says he can't risk being seen as an idiot when back at the white house and sandler and josh gad are there and they're showing him the videotape and then it's at this point kevin james tells josh gad he's like hey you can call me chewy and he says like because remember we were kids josh gad you helped me unscramble cinemax which are like in the 80s there was only one reason to unscramble cinemax right and it's what ludlow has been doing 24 7 since last we saw him in this movie Adam Sandler looks so bored in this scene and Josh Gad's manic energy describing how the next attack is going to happen in India is just, it just juxtaposes the scene to really highlight how much Sandler is disengaged with this movie. Right. And I would say like, I don't particularly care for Kevin James that much, but he's trying in this scene. He's just doing Kevin James. Right. Well, that's what he does, but he at least brings an energy to the the scene. He's trying to be entertaining. And Josh Gad, like you said, is just this Roman candle being fired off in every scene. But, and Sandler, because 
because he doesn't really have anything to do in this scene, might as well just not be in it. Yeah, in the background, he's just like, yeah, yeah, what that guy said. And so then we cut to something that actually seems like a real movie where we're in India and it's a, a young man who is proposing to his beautiful lady love. Space invaders show up from the, the video game Space Invaders. No, no, no. It's and- actually it's actually Arkanoid is what shows up. Oh, okay. And it's the giant paddles. It's like a more advanced version of Pong. And they start bouncing these balls of light that go to and fro, and they start destroying the Taj Mahal in like under 30 seconds. It blows it all up to hell. And then we're done with that scene. And I I was like, well, that's what this movie ought to be, is like a big disaster movie. It's not. It's not. And then when the aliens win that round, they suck up the guy who is proposing to his lady fair. So aliens two, Earth zero. Right. We're in a real hole here. I know. So we cut to Michelle Monaghan, who is like, hey, this guy Ludlow and Adam Sandler shouldn't be helping because they're idiots. Which is one of the few times in this movie where I think she's making wise decisions for herself. Well, she hasn't been drinking for about six hours. (laughs) Right. The hangover sitting in. She's just real testy. (laughs) Oh, he's fucking asshole. Somebody give me some orange juice. (laughs) There's no vodka in this. Who the hell? I told you to Irish it up. When you give coffee to the colonel, it is Kiyoki or bust. Oh, also in this DARPA room that we're in, there's some crazy robot skull dude. Yeah, it looks like something out of Westworld marching around because the U.S. government has that type of technology. Well, you see, after Roswell... um, after we see this robot dude, Michelle Monaghan introduces them to these proton packs, essentially, that fire light blasts that will blow up these voxels. And then... Thank you. Uh, and then she and Adam Sandler flirt a little by arguing arguing about how she wished that she kissed this hypothetical yacht guy that he invented when he was bad-mouthing her earlier. This whole relationship is completely disposable. Nobody could care about it. Like, this is not the Dana Barrow, Peter Vinkman back and forth from Ghostbusters. This is a guy that had a creepy, drunken moment in a closet with a lady and now won't leave her alone. Well, she's really upset that the president gave security clearance to Sandler and Gad. You know, because it it doesn't make sense that President Kevin James would do something like that. We're coming up, you know, on a presidential election next year. And politics is a real hot topic. And in this movie, Kevin James clearly is a ridiculous choice to see in the Oval Office. And it's time for us to play a little game I like to call, who would you vote for? Kevin James or that guy I just said? Okay. So, Bo, are you ready? I am ready. I am going to give you a list of actors and the movies where they played President of the United States. You have to tell me, would you vote for Kevin James as your next president in real life or the name of the other person that I just said? Okay. Harrison Ford in Air Force One. Harrison Ford. Bill Pullman in Independence Day. Bill Pullman. Michael Douglas in The American President. Michael Douglas. Morgan Freeman in Deep Impact. Morgan Freeman. Kevin Klein in Dave. Kevin Klein. Wait, wait, wait. Let me ask a a follow-up. Pre-stroke Kevin Klein or Dave? Kevin Klein is Dave, not pre-stroke, because that guy was an asshole. Right. Okay. Just making sure. Robert Culp in The Pelican Brief. Uh, Kevin James. Gene Hackman in Absolute Power. Yeah, these get dicey. I mean, they're both murderers, according to the woman on the rope line. (laughs) Probably Kevin James. Gene Hackman in Welcome to Mooseport. Oh, well, Gene Hackman. James Garner in My Fellow Americans. 
James Garner, 100%. He's got a tank, Chad. Jack Lemmon in My Fellow Americans. Jack Lemmon. He was the Democrat, so yeah. Dan Aykroyd in My Fellow Americans. Dan Aykroyd. Bruce Greenwood from National Treasure. Kevin James, I guess. Jeff Bridges in The Contender. Oh, Jeff Bridges. That's my dream president, Chad. John Travolta as Bill Clinton in Primary Colors. John Travolta. Whether he's playing Bill Clinton or not. E.G. Marshall from Superman 2. Oh, no. He knelt before Zod. No way. It's Kevin James. <laughs> Mary McDonnell in Battlestar Galactic. Mary McDonald. David Moffat in Clear and Present Danger. Um, y- y- David Moffat. Alan Alda in Canadian Bacon. <laughs> yes, Alan Alda. Jack Nicholson in Wars Attacks. Uh, Kevin James. Chris Rock in Head of State. Chris Rock. Tim Robbins in the Austin Powers movies. Oh, Tim Robbins for sure. Terry Crews in Idiocracy. I mean, is that's a flip of a coin. Kevin James, I suppose. And lastly, Lloyd Bridges in Hot Shots Part Do. Oh, 100% just for his <laughs> graveside speech. <laughs> Where he talks about the family getting even with the Tataglias and Lloyd Bridges in Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Deux is comedic gold. Every <laughs> second he is on screen, something hilarious is happening. Damn it, put a man in a boat down there. Do I have to think of everything? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, now I just want to watch like a super cut of... There, there is your fan fiction I think is right I think if Kevin James were a more competent character it would make this a better movie because he could still be a little fumbling but it would be nice if he were the anchor as your fan fiction suggested where he's like hey Adam Sandler is my buddy who's down on his luck but I know he's capable of great things he just needs the opportunity and I need him and that would mean something Violet and her team they figured out that these proton blasters will destroy the aliens Vox and we got Westworld robots running around and uh, she and Adam Sandler flirt and he calls her a slut. You know, this woman that he has literally known for about, what, 12 hours? Yeah, they've had a real roller coaster of a relationship <laughs> in a very short amount of time. They're commiserating drunkenly in a closet. She rebuffs a kiss. He starts getting a little aggro about it, but they're still flirting. It's it's very Dave and Maddie from Moonlighting Season 1. Nobody knows what that reference is besides you, me, and about one other person. Um, it doesn't matter. That first season of Moonlighting is fucking great. Everyone enters in this airplane hangar, and there's this team of Navy SEALs, and then for some reason, Violet's kid is there because she couldn't find a babysitter. So she brought him to this top-secret facility. Right, it's take your kid to work day <laughs> at the top-secret military facility. Are you? It's here that Josh Gad and Adam Sandler begin to train these soldiers on how to fight their video game nemesis with this 1980s knowledge. And Josh Gad's energy really accentuates, once again, Adam Sandler's lack of giving two shits about being in this movie. And Josh Gad screams at the soldiers in this real Arlie Ermy performance. And it's supposed to be for laughs, but I just felt bad for everyone involved in this scene as he improvised clearly moments that were left on the cutting room floor. And this was as good as it got, which it wasn't that good to begin with. And then Sandler steps up and he gets gives a speech that is pretending to be inspirational and then Sandler and Josh Gad start training the soldiers as they play video game cabinet versions of Pac-Man and Asteroids and the like and then Josh Gad walks around and just keeps smacking all these soldiers on the ass and earlier when he was screaming at one of them he told one of them that he wanted to get in this guy's pants and he was like do you want to feel me in your pants which I was like Josh Gad's character isn't gay because he's obsessed with Lady Lisa so are these supposed to be jokes because this is a man saying these things to another man are these gay jokes 
jokes? Are these even jokes? It's real tough to pick this one apart, Chad. I, in my own notes, it's uh, Adam Sandler uh, and Ludlow give speeches, and Ludlow's is funny? Question mark. Yeah, it, it's real tough to to discern what the intention is here, because like you said, for his character, he is single mindedly obsessed with Lady Lisa or Chad. Is it that he's obsessed with her because he knows it's an impossible relationship, and that's preferable to dealing with the truth of his own sexuality? Perhaps, perhaps, Chad. That, that would make a better movie. I'd rather watch him wrestle with his own sexuality than all the bullshit that happens in this film. Right. We get an unnecessary scene where President Kevin James is hanging out with First Lady Jane Kurkowski, and they're decorating a cake at this privately owned bakery, and they're playing a real game of grab ass. And then someone comes in and says, Mr. President, the next attack will be in London. And so now our movie is set in London with Sandler and Josh Gad. Everybody just goes to London. And Kevin James is hanging out with this movie's version of the Prime Minister. And then Colonel Brian Cox mouths off to Violet, and he puts her down because she's a woman. And then Adam Sandler comes over and he consoles her, but not really. Yeah. This also results in Kevin James insulting the prime minister's sexiness somehow. The gag is that she's so British he can't understand her at all. All of this don't mean nothing. And in particular, this scene with uh, Kevin James and his wife at the bakery, I guess was a callback to the original scene where he's like, hey, I'm having trouble connecting with my wife. When we first met him as adults at the beginning of the movie, it feels like it's something that should ultimately pay off like there is a script somewhere where this is a big deal in the movie mm -hmm. and this just ain't the movie that they made we get all tied up in all these like okay now we're meeting the prime minister and sean bean is like the military liaison suddenly it's nighttime and the attack in london begins and the aliens appear from the sky and it's the game centipede and to make a long story short Adam Sandler steps in and grabs one of the light cannons and he saves the day in the first round of centipede attack. And then Adam Sandler tells Josh Gad to grab a gun of his own and help to fight in round two where lover boys everybody's working for the weekend is cranked up just to get us in the mood. Yeah, I, I don't understand that song choice. I, is this supposed to be happening on a weekend? Why are we working for this weekend? Because it's an 80s song that somebody liked. What about Lover Boys uh, loving every minute of it? That would seem more appropriate than everybody's working for the weekend. Yeah. And then it, there's a Rocky Four style montage where they just shoot all the centipedes and they even kill a, one of the jumping spiders from Centipede. My nemesis, Chad. They were tough. And then one centipede goes rogue and Adam Sandler is like, I, I guess I'll get this one. Uh, hey, hey, you guys stay here. I'm, I'll go get that guy. Hold on. Where, where, are, my, where are my shoes? I, I, I left one of my shoes over here. I'll get it. All right. Uh, all right. You guys I, stay here. I got to stand up for this scene chris oh, oh boy oh, i hope i'm getting paid How about cgi you could cg my cgi me running across this field yeah yeah do that give me a reverse lieutenant dan you know where you yeah you put my legs in green then make it look like i'm moving everywhere <laughs> <laughs> Sandler takes off after this rogue centipede and it goes into an apartment complex and he runs upstairs to give chase and then the centipede crashes into this old lady's apartment where she's watching 1980s jazzercise videos and then the centipede stops and starts doing jazzercise with the old lady someone made that choice to happen in this movie like it didn't happen by accident that wasn't improvisation they chose to do that and they had the computer animators make this centipede jazzercise with the this old woman right and somebody probably went you know what i just saw the uh the the first tests for the jazzercising centipede and uh i gotta tell you it's shit <laughs>
This is a big moment in this movie, people. We're making a big budget Hollywood movie. And how about you give me a jazzercising centipede that looks like a goddamn jazzercising centipede and not a great lump of shit? I'm sorry, Mr. Columbus. I'll do better next time. I promise I will. There's not going to be a next time. I'll be. I'll try harder. I promise. You're not going to try harder. You're going to get it right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever you say. Let me see the cubert. It's not finished yet, sir. It's not finished! <laughs> Jazzercising. <laughs> <laughs> Sailor busts in the room and then the centipede smashes out of the wall and it plummets <laughs> towards the ground and down below is a child on the street so this kid's gonna get killed but here our hero adam sandler blasts the centipede before it can kill this child down below luckily the kid isn't killed because that's one of the greatest tragedies known to mankind when a parent must bury their child i'm glad that didn't happen in this movie after defeating the alien invasion all of the navy seals and violet and sandler and his crew they all go off to get drunk violet pulls out a bottle of that uh, dan Aykroyd crystal head vodka and she's like hey let's get drunk on this vodka that dan Aykroyd asked us to product place in this movie you know that was in his writer oh my god that i love that so much that he is so like anytime you see him in interviews which clearly i often do um <laughs> he always slips in the vodka uh like well you know we uh, just won a couple of awards uh for our uh what, what is probably the best vodka on the market today uh you know uh interestingly richard nixon uh and elvis uh elvis went to richard nixon and uh they were drinking vodka one night and uh Elvis said, uh, hey, tell me about these uh, aliens. And, uh, you know, when a president uh, is first elected, one of the first things that uh, happens is they sit him down and they talk to the president about, you know, here's what's going on with uh, with Roswell, with the, uh, the technologies. I mean, fiber optics alone uh, is something that we wouldn't have without Roswell. Uh, and not to mention the microprocessor, but uh, get ahead of myself. So uh, Elvis says, what, what about it? And uh, uh, Nixon's a little cagey on the subject. A couple of days later, uh, Elvis gets a phone call. Uh, Nixon uh, has a car show up at Elvis's house, takes him to a facility located in the uh, the bedroom community of Arlington. And uh, it was there that Elvis saw an alien in the flesh. And uh, that is what ultimately led to Elvis's death. He uh, he knew too much. Uh, but uh, that uh, that's a story everyone knows. <laughs> I could listen to that all night. Oh my god. <laughs> you do watch a lot of Dan Aykroyd interviews. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a fairly uh word for word. <laughs> that's like a transcript. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of that's a greatest hits of Aykroyd right there. <laughs> it's that and rubber biscuit. Those are the if you get the greatest hits of Dan Aykroyd, it's Crystal Skull Vodka, Rubber Biscuit aliens among us back at this bar kevin james shows up and uh, he decides he's going to just start drinking beer from a pitcher so all that seems to add up and then there's a tv in this bar and it starts showing modified clips from the 1980s tv show fantasy island where ricardo montabon's voice has been modified and it tells the earthlings that they get a reward for having uh, defeated centipede and so they're going to get uh, one of their warriors as a trophy and then we cut back to the old lady's apartment and she's sitting on her couch with a high 
highball in her hand. I guess she, what, does jazzercise, then relaxes with three fingers of Johnny Walker Black just to ease her nerves? And in this apartment, the dog from Nintendo's Duck Hunt shows up. Why wouldn't the dog show up in the bar? Does he, I guess, does he show up where the last creature in the battle was killed? I mean, your guess is as good as mine, but that... Is that what happens with Cubert? Uh, no, they just, they bring Cubert in covered in a, like a black tarp, like he's some sort of hostage. <laughs> right. Well, after waterboarding him. We, <laughs> what, what the expected thing is, is that we never see the Nintendo Duck Hunt dog again. It's just there for the sake of nostalgia. Uh, I, I call this the Stranger Things Syndrome, Chad, where, as you suggested, a movie or television show will sucker you in by <laughs> saying like, hey, remember this thing you like? To distract you from how shitty the thing is. Right. The Duck Hunt dog is kind of a fun little reference, but it's like, uh, boy, wh oh, what was that Spielberg movie? Ready Player One. That's a movie that ain't no real movie there. Right. It's just a whole lot of, hey, remember this thing? Or after the stupid Duck Hunt dog shows up, Mr. Rourke and Ted who um, are like, you know, hey, there's going to be a, a new battle. Kevin James then says, we have to get Fire Blaster because we had tremendous success and there's no reason for us to fuck with it, but why not? There's no reason for us to go get Peter Dinklage. You guys have handled this so far. You guys did great. We, You literally saved the day. We could have been destroyed and instead you guys saved us. Oh well, let's, uh, let's add your old rival to the team because nothing is good for morale like getting someone that is famously better than you at something uh, along for the ride. We're a good 75% of the way through this movie and he hasn't shown up yet. Yeah, so they do go to Peter Dinklage who still has the, the great Billy Mitchell mullet and that kind of thing. Well, he's in prison. Right. For some kind of scam that he was running. Yeah, just being a con man, which I also appreciate. Like right. anytime you can slip in a grifter in a movie, I'm happy. And <laughs> he has this list of demands. And like I said, this was the one scene I I kind of found funny where he's just like all right i never want to pay taxes again which is you know a nod to armageddon but then it just gets like i want my own private island it's just this escalatingly ridiculous list of demands that they just immediately shoot down which i think is kind of funny it's this nice moment of like hey i'm this overinflated character making these crazy demands and there's a more grounded character in the scene that's like that's never gonna happen that's crazy we'll see what we can do about the taxes he says he wants a helicopter helicopter a stealth helicopter to fly around in and then he caps it off by saying he wants to have a three-way with serena williams and martha stewart in the lincoln bedroom <laughs> yeah right it, it it's something in this movie i guess uh but then they get a, a word that there's another t attack coming and it, it's going to be focused on new york city and, and well, where else would it be come on Sure. And and so Fire Blaster is now on board, uh, Peter Dinklage, and our heroes show up, <laughs> heroes in quotes, uh, as is so often the case with these movies. They show up in New York City, and then... They show up in New York City dressed as the Ghostbusters from Ghostbusters Part 2. <laughs> right. They're wearing these NASCAR suits that on the front it says the arcaders and they've got the like this one up logo on their sleeves well at least sandler and josh gad's uniforms do because peter dinklage's uniform has the sleeves ripped off it's pretty great i i like whole vibe and during this scene a uh, sandler pal nick swartzen shows up playing a cop who was traumatized in the subway tunnels and he talks about how pac-man is down there uh, beneath the city streets and as luck would have it the government along with the 
movie sponsor Mini Cooper has created four custom vehicles. They are all the same colors of the ghost in Pac-Man that have right. light cannon technology on top to do something that will somehow destroy Pac-Man. It ain't explained and I guess it don't matter. It's utter nonsense. It, it's just an excuse to recreate life-size Pac-Man, which I'm not against. I think the, the idea of that is fun. But the whole idea of like, we, we got these mini Coopers for you. And by the way, we painted them the colors of like inky and blinky and whatever. Like nobody asked the question of like, why would you do that? Why would you take the time? <laughs> In a situation that is this grave where like literally every second counts and and nothing can be double checked too many times. Why did you take the time to paint these cars? Or go to the trouble of like, we need a yellow one and a red one and a green one and an orange one. And when they were like, well, we don't have an orange one. God damn it, you will get an orange one. Like Yes, uh, right, right away, Mr. Columbus, we'll get you a red one. <laughs> it's just so dumb. Like within the context of the film, it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense other than this is something that the movie wants to do, so it's gonna do it and not explain the whys of it. But there are four cars and we only have three players. So they introduce the fourth player, who is Professor Iwatani, as played by the aforementioned Dennis Akiyama. Yeah. My question that I had was, why isn't Kevin James the fourth player? They're all four friends. Why wouldn't he get in on the action at this point? I get that he's a president, but why are we doing this? Well, and he's also famously shit at video games. Right. That would have been funny. Right. And to be like, hey, we need you. We need you, pal. Come on. Come on, don't don't be a dick. Come on, just, just get in the car. Get in the car. Uh, the creator of Pac-Man is brought in. Uh, he says, no, you're like, Pac-Man was invented to bring joy and love and peace, and he is not a villain. And so rather than try to get Pac-Man to chase him or whatever, I don't know what their plan is, other than to shoot him with the light guns, he goes out to try to, to talk sense into Pac-Man, I guess. <laughs> talk him down from the ledge. or Pac-Man's like, I'm going to fucking do it, man. <laughs> no, Pac-Man, you're you're better than this. You get get me a lawyer. I I coming off this ledge till I talk to somebody about my rights. And so Pac-Man uh, then bites Iwatani, who is like, "No, you're good. You're you're a good uh, you're a good boy." And then they uh, go to a club and they do putting on the Ritz, and it's <laughs> hey, handsome, is what he says to Pac-Man. And <laughs> but Pac-Man bites him, and then. He gets uh, all pixelated, uh, or voxelated, I suppose. Thank you. Our remaining heroes now give chase. Also, Chad, not only did they get the the cars the right color, they got license plates. Somebody took the time to get license plates with the name of the ghost. If you're going to do it, you got to do it right. I suppose so. This was uh, the the alien brain guy from the DARPA lab. That was probably his move. He's, I can do over <laughs> 4 billion calculations every second. It's really no big deal for me to get some custom plates on the fly. Um, so I, I know someone who, Debbie, my friend Debbie, who works at the DMV, she can make this happen this afternoon. During this car chase scene, Peter Dinklage pulls down his uh, cheating glasses um, with all of the cheat codes on it. And then Peter Dinklage's car starts teleporting from one location to another. Right. How does him having cheat codes to the video game allow him to defy the laws of 
time and space in the real world. It's like uh, the secret, Chad. If you wish on something hard enough, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it's like I have no idea what is going on in this movie anymore. Straight up magic is happening in this film now, and it is completely illogical. And nobody comments on it beyond, "Hey, how's he doing that?" I don't know. He's got a cheat code, and everybody just kind of shrugs. Dinklage zips his car and smacks into Pac-Man and kills him. So uh, Pac-Man number one of number three is gone. Um, but if we're playing by Pac-Man rules, wouldn't all the ghosts have unlimited lives? Wouldn't they be able to respawn? It, it only matters in terms of what the movie wants to do. It doesn't I, have to make, it, it doesn't make Pac-Man sense. It doesn't make narrative sense. None of this makes any sense. It's just a bunch of stuff that happens on screen, which again, a wise man once said, Chad, if you're not paying attention, it might seem like a real movie. But as soon as you stop and think about it for a couple of seconds, it all falls apart. This movie's a lot like Whose Line Is It Anyway, where everything's made up and the points don't matter. And here's uh, some more, like, what the fuckery in this movie, where Pac-Man then bites down on a uh, power pellet, and all the cars suddenly turn blue and start flashing. And <laughs> That's it's like, what happens in the game. Right, it's what happens in the game, but again, why is Dr. Brain Drain in the DARPA lab being like, you know what else we need to make happen for these cars? Not only do they need to be the right color, not only do we need license plates to to identify the correct ghost that they represent if there are power pellets somehow involved there should be something that automatically turns these cars blue and if there can be flashing lights so much the better so pac-man chases all of our heroes around and he eats josh gad's car but josh gad escapes screaming like a woman and then peter dinklage shows up and he smashes into pac-man to save josh gad's life and prevent him from being eaten so two pac-man's down one to go and then pac-man responds and it's just adam sandler and peter dinklage left to destroy the remaining pac-man and then peter dinklage just immediately drives his car into a river and then sandler follows pac-man and then pac-man eats another blue pellet which gives him the upper hand for 10 seconds and adam sandler drives his mini cooper backward through this parking garage all the time counting down backwards from 10 to 1 and at the zero count his car changes from blue to red whereupon he crashes out of the wall at the top level of the parking garage where pac-man eats adam sandler's car but since his car is now red pac-man dies and adam sandler lands on the rooftop across the way very convenient indeed Yes. It, once he's out of, he he's defeated the final Pac-Man. He's mobbed by fans at this point. Like the crowd goes wild, Chad. They are they couldn't be more excited that somebody of such low energy has saved the day. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's great, it's great. Yeah, I saved the day. I saved the day. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No thanks, no thanks. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, I'm just I'm the Sandman. <laughs> That's what I do. Josh Gad shows up with uh, you know, the waterboarded Cubert mentioned earlier, where they're just like, hey, here's a sack of Cubert for every. Everybody. It's I, fine as a gag, but like Cubert is one of those video game characters that is really irritating to me. And the noises that it makes through, throughout this movie, this kind of uh, digital nonsense uh -huh. is really grating. Once again, this movie defies you to like it. Like, here's something else you won't like. Is it really Cubert? Or is it an alien in the shape of Cubert? Well, of course it's not the real Cubert because Cubert's not a real thing. So, you know, it's like, is that the real Dracula? <laughs> I don't want any of these fake Indiana Joneses. 
I want to meet the real Henry Jones right fucking now. At a subsequent press conference, President Kevin James is taking questions from the press corps. And at this in this scene, Robert Smigel shows up to collect a paycheck. And he asks this convoluted word sandwich of a question that is filled with complicated word usements. And then the sportscaster Dan Patrick stands up to tell Robert Smigel to shut the hell up. And that his question is only meant to make President Kevin James look stupid. Which, as I'm watching this... I I just kept thinking all of this press conference seems so normal compared to what is happening in real life. I, I know. Yeah. The buffoonery of Kevin James is, is sort of quaint. <laughs> Like you see him acting like a moron and you're like, boy, that would be great if we had a president that was just stupid. Sandler's hanging out with Violet's kid in this top secret government facility and the kid's playing The Last of Us on Sony's PlayStation 4. And Kubert's there and he's all freaked out by the violence in the video game. Uh, It comes up that there's going to be a big fancy ball to thank Adam Sandler and his team for saving Earth, even though there's still one more battle to be had. Seems a bit premature, you know, mission accomplished. And Sandler... Um, asked Violet if she would go uh, to this black tie affair. And so they attend and Sandler shows up, of course, without shaving. And then Peter Dinklage rolls in with Serena Williams on his arm, which it's a pretty funny pairing because she's just so tall and muscular and just a presence. And he's just this spitfire, you know, of a short man who is, you know, his personality is just as big as her physicality. Again, anytime Peter Dinklage is on screen, something decent might be happening. So, and then <laughs> Michelle Monaghan and her kid and Qbert, uh, who is in a tuxedo, because again, we were taking time to make a tuxedo for Qbert in this movie, uh, show up together at, at the big gala. Could you imagine dating somebody who had this type of a relationship with their son, where they literally took them everywhere that they went? It's not healthy. Well, especially at this age. Like, uh, you know, yeah. the, the kids are growing up. He needs to have a life of its own, preferably not with a Cubert, but with children his own age and his own species. Um, <laughs> during, but, during this ball, Josh Gad gets up on stage and does his nasal singing and he covers everybody wants to rule the world. When Josh Gad sings, it's this. Let me see if I can do it. He What he sings, he sings through his nose and it's like. Everybody wants to rule the world. That's pretty good. He's trying to comically sing, not sing well. Josh Gad's performance in the Book of Mormon is excellent. But you know what's strange about his performance is that every person who plays Arnold Cunningham in the Book of Mormon is essentially just doing an impression of Josh Gad. It's not like someone coming in and doing their interpretation of Hamlet or Ebenezer Scrooge or, you know, Macbeth or or just kind of these like iconic characters. When you go see the Book of Mormon, you're pretty much going to see someone pretending to do Josh Gad. I think that's right. Yeah. Which is weird. I can't think of too many other performances where, you know, if you go see the Wizard of Oz on stage, you're not expecting to see Judy Garland. You know, there is some leeway that you give with interpretation of that character but not with book of mormon yeah but i think it speaks to the fact that he he created something kind of special with that 
And I mean, he didn't write it, obviously, but his performance is what made that kind of wonderful and hilarious and all that. You know, so I don't think Josh Gad is untalented or anything. And I, I, I think when you sparingly, he can be pretty funny. But this just, he's playing such a creep in this movie. It's hard to kind of get behind anything he's doing. I, I did want to do a quick product placement count here. Between the last scene and this one, the last one with with Cubert uh, and the kid and this scene at the gala, we have Cheetos. M&M's and a healthy dosing of Bud Light at this gala uh-huh. because it's fancy Chad <laughs> you you want to tell somebody you come from class you pick up a 24 pack of Bud Light and well, I'm definitely showing up there's a bit here in this scene where Peter Dinklage gets kind of shut down by Serena Williams when he's coming on to her and he says I, he wishes now he'd, he'd taken the date with Martha Stewart so at least he'd get a panini which I thought was kind of a funny joke <laughs> Adam Sandler takes Violet out on the balcony to woo her with romantic sweet nothings by asking Violet to describe in detail everything that Violet knows about the Pilates instructor who stole her ex-husband. He wants to know how limber she is, how beautiful she is. His game is the opposite of game. During this scene, Violet turns up one of the aforementioned Bud Lights. It's a good full 12 ounces, and it is an over the lips and through the gums. Look out stomach, here it comes. She pours this down her throat like she's pouring it down a sink drain. She is an alcoholic what she is thinking here is i'm probably going to end up sleeping with adam sandler at some point just the way things have been going that's where all this is headed so i'm gonna need a couple of doses of liquid courage before that nudity happens with this old man during the party the aliens transmit a message that the people of earth have violated the rules of the game during the last competition and so the aliens are going to destroy earth once and for all cut to peter dinklage who says i'm out of here because he was the one who cheated and he scampers off and on his way out of the party he runs into violet's kid who has peter dinklage's glasses that a cop found in the river and the thing and the stuff and the kid says hey you got cheat codes on here and then dinklage confesses to being a cheater and that's how he beat adam sandler way back in the day at the world championship hosted by conspiracy theorist aficionado dan Aykroyd. and at this point the kid violet's kid gets abducted by the aliens um i guess as their third trophy that they're taking from earth right because because the movie needs it to happen and that's why there's a lot of that in this a lot of well to get this to the end the screenplay needs to do this sandler josh gad and cubert and violet they're all at violet's home and she's all sad because this is the first time that she and her son have ever been separated in their life ever she homeschools that kid you know and then cubert says in this scene that um in his own cubert way that his home was once a happy place until earth threatened them with war on this vhs tape and now his planet is making an army of video game characters to come down and destroy earth yes we jump from night to day where a bunch of classic arcade game characters start destroying washington dc as they emerge from a giant spaceship yeah we see what paperboy is there there are characters from joust frogger burger time characters are running around did i miss any of them yeah i mean it but it's all the video games from the arcade games from the 80s and you know here here are the characters from those games now attacking the earth and it's kind of neat like it's it's what the short film is and that's like the tetris thing is kind of cool where the blocks fall between the buildings and you see the buildings uh collapse onto themselves and that stuff's kind of neat and it works in that short film quite a bit i i don't know that it 
fits with what's happening because again the aliens sort of violate their own rules in this movie so it doesn't really feel like i don't know like it you don't know the aliens so you can't discern their motives i guess they're just poor sports yeah okay yeah it's a bunch of video game scare game characters bouncing around destroying shit it's kind of neat for that matter just watch the original two minute short film that's neat and fun and you don't waste two hours watching this nonsense and i'll do you one better you watch that and then the end credits of this thing and you're done <laughs> but we'll get to that anyway so there all these video game characters characters are attacking josh gad and Kubert and adam sandler and michelle monahan are all at the scene of the attack and for some reason they stop to get michelle monahan her own uniform as well it's just like what are why are we wasting time with all the aesthetics she's a lot like when lewis tully showed up in ghostbusters 2 like, why does he have a uniform? Yeah. They they were going to surprise him for his birthday. Like, oh, Lewis, <laughs> you're a, a real Ghostbuster now. Oh, geez, that's great. Frogger shows up and leaps in the air to land on our three heroes. But before Frogger can crush them, a giant crane snatches Frogger from the air, saving our heroes. And at the controls of the giant crane is President Kevin James, who is not only wearing his own Arcaders gray onesie, but he is also wearing his Chewbacca mask. <laughs> yeah, and tells like the team, they're like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I gave the Secret Service the slip. It's like, I don't think that's how that works. The rules of physics featured in this movie are very inconsistent because it seems that everything that the aliens touch turn into these voxels, but when the crane grabs Frogger, it just stays whole. So. Right. You have to mean to turn something into a voxel, I guess. I, I guess so. And then, and then uh, Michelle Monaghan uh, kills a Smurf. What was that all about? There was a Smurf game on the ColecoVision console that was a pretty good game, but I don't remember Smurfs being video game characters. Is that just more 80s bullshit? I think there were Smurf video games. I would hesitate to call any of them good. Uh, we, we see Josh Gad fighting a big Berserk robot. You know, I was like, when they showed the Berserk robot, I was like, where's Evil Otto? That seems like a, a perfect video game reference to make here, but I guess not. So uh, he saved some kids from these little ninjas from another video game that I didn't recognize. And then, Chad, everybody set your dicks to fun because here comes Lady Lisa, uh, who who starts off as like the pixelated character we saw from the video game and then uh-huh. inexplicably just becomes a real life hot lady. Chris Columbus directed this movie. I get that the director sometimes can't change the screenplay, but just to construct a coherent narrative, there are just things in this movie that are just baffling like this doesn't make any fucking sense yeah and to ratchet the creep factor up a little more not only is this the only voxel art creature to become a flesh and blood sexy lady immediately josh gad is like i've prayed for this my entire life (laughs) like i i'm i went straight from you know six to midnight as soon as this happened and now it is the culmination of all the erotic fantasies i've had for my entire life we'll get to that in a bit oh it's so gross for some reason max headroom who is not a video game character shows up in the sky he says you have to come up to our mothership for the final boss battle if you win we will not destroy your planet if we win then we'll just go away this still makes no sense for the aliens it is a real lose-lose so sandler and violet they get sucked up into the ship by themselves and then josh gad is off um in a parallel track of action and he's fighting 
Lady Lisa. They're going toe to toe. And then somehow their battling ends up with them making out. And then Peter Dinklage shows up to spoil the moment. And Dinklage is like, yeah, what's up, losers? I came back to prove to the world that I could do this without cheating. And I'm like, do what exactly? What are you going to do? What is happening in this movie? I don't understand any of this. Right. And then Josh Gad is like, guess what? She's my fiance now. And it's like, what is even going on here? How did he get engaged to a video game character that was just trying to kill all right fine this is all just gross now cut to inside the mothership and adam sandler's there and violet remember we saw them get sucked up a few seconds ago but guess what president kevin james is there and you know who else is there Cubert. so here's what's going down they're basically now in a big donkey kong it's uh, there's a giant donkey kong monkey up top he does the stomp and a bunch of platforms tilt uh, left and right pink metal beams right teeter tot down with the ladders and then a barrel falls in the uh in, into an oil can and then cubert pees a fucking video game character this movie we take a moment in this film, much like our jazzercising centipede, <laughs> where it was like, hey, you got the you got the dailies for Cubert taking a piss? Oh, yes, sir. Right here, sir. It's, I worked on it all night. My fingers are so hey! from all the- What color is his piss? It's light orange. I said to make it the grossest color yellow you can. I wrote down your exact words. You said make it light orange. I said yellow. I will kill every last motherfucking one of you. If I don't get the grossest color piss out of my cubit, I can. Yes, uh, Mr. Columbus. Do you want it to look like the puddle beneath my feet right now? Of course I want it to look like that puddle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, what were we talking about oh yeah oh. so Cubert takes a piss and then <laughs> um, Kong is just tossing barrels around and this is where uh, Michelle Monaghan's kid whose name I never bother to remember in this movie <laughs> it, is like hey by the way Peter Dinklage cheated so officially Adam Sandler is the world record holder for Donkey Kong and so his lifelong feelings of inferiority are really just a misinterpretation of the the facts of this championship and so now he has the confidence he needs to save the day right so Queen's we will rock you kicks in and Sandler saves the day there's one point because uh, again this movie he can't stop being gross where uh he grabs a hammer a donkey kong hammer and michelle monahan has fallen and is hanging by one of the beams and he extends the the handle of the hammer to her and says grab on my mighty hammer and you're like ugh, okay fine we're let's fit in a couple of more dick jokes now that we've already had the <laughs> urinating cubert after adam sandler throws the hammer and hits donkey kong and defeats him back on earth all the video game characters disappear and all of the earth people um, that were taken away are returned back to earth and then josh gad screeches uh the as he is wont to do when lady lisa disappears into the air it's a real thanos snap moment where it's just like <laughs> 
like, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Don't let me go, Tony. I don't want to disappear, father figure. Sorry. Still tugs <laughs> at my heartstrings. We go back to the White House. Peter Dinklage apologizes to Adam Sandler for cheating back in the day. Josh Gad is sad because he didn't get to have sex with Lady Lisa. Since Cubert was a trophy, he was forced to stay on Earth. So at this point, Cubert transforms into Lady Lisa so that Josh Gad can have sex with him or her? Not since Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo has creating your ideal woman been creepier you know like yeah apparently Cubert is just like I guess uh, this dude can fuck me the rest of my life I mean, I don't understand. Like, why is Cubert taking one for the team here? Of just like, I guess I'll be a sexy lady and marry him. <laughs> I'm worried about Cubert. President Kevin James holds this press conference on the White House lawn that he has brokered a deal with the aliens and he praises the work of the Ghostbusters. I mean, the Arcaders. And then Sandler kisses uh, Violet. And then Peter Dinklage gets a text on his phone. Uh, he looks over his shoulder up at the window of the Lincoln bedroom and and he sees Serena Williams is there in a tennis outfit. And Martha Stewart is there holding that panini that he talked about earlier. So not only is it going to be a three-way, he's going to have a little snack for post-sex refreshments. <laughs> right. After doing a threesome is really the, the, the first thing that pops in your head after a threesome. Like, I should, I should have a sandwich. That is a joke that is totally appropriate for a typical Sandler movie, which this is not. And it's really out of place. That's that's along the lines of the penguin giving an over-the-pants handjob to Chris Farley. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, right. It, it is totally wrong for this movie. But there are so many dick jokes. Like, that's what makes this movie so uncomfortable, I think, is that it feels like it should be a broad summer comedy aimed at a 12. And not the this litany of dick and piss jokes that... I mean, yes, it appeals to 12-year-olds, but not in a way that does anybody any good. Except 12-year-olds, to the point of the kid in this movie, they don't know what a Pac-Man is. They don't know yeah. what a Donkey Kong is. They don't know these games or these references. You can't be nostalgic for something that existed before you were born. Yeah, I mean, now that you've mentioned it, the more I think about this, like, Seth Rogen version of this, where it's, you know, him and, and James Franco and uh, Jonah Hill as your three leads having to fight their way through video game levels, that sounds hysterical. Yeah. And, and in fact... It, you you frame the whole thing where they get like so stupid high that they get sucked into a video game like Tron and now you got something you got a, a like a parody of Tron with stoners now I'm in oh let's get to the most disgusting thing that happens in the entire movie okay where we we go one of the last in fact the last shot is we go to the josh gad home mm -hmm. where he and his lady lisa shaped cubert wife uh -huh. ha have had a bunch of small cubert babies right josh gad uh had sex with her yes it and got her or it pregnant with his semen and now there are baby cuberts like five or six of them i guess at a certain age they're just gonna be like i don't know look like whatever you want i guess that's what your mom does that is the final thought that this movie leaves you with josh gad fucking cubert not just the final thought, an ass load of questions to go along with that thought. Well, the answer to the first one is in that great big old long nose of his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I 
want to know like who delivered these children was one of them kept for study somewhere that now i want to see this altered states kind of movie all about the relationship between lady cubert and josh gad you can keep that movie that sounds I'll, awful <laughs> but i'll tell you uh the movie blissfully uh ends here but then we gotta watch the whole damn movie again because they recap it in 8-bit style now it's like old music videos where they didn't know what to do with music videos so whatever the song was about was what the video was about the hall and oats who we saw in this movie a video for she's gone is just them sitting in chairs singing the song and when they sing the words she's gone a lady walks across the screen and then disappears. That's pretty good. <laughs> right? It's just like, that's what's happening in this movie where they're like, hey, remember that movie you just saw? Here it is again, only shortened and kind of better. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take your word for whatever you just said, because as soon as the credits started rolling, I'm done. I turned this thing off. I had to stick around when it, when they start the credits with like the kids on the bikes going to the arcade. I was like, is this the whole movie again? Sure. Sure enough, Chad, right down to the end. And then once that ends, a smaller set of credits begins that tells the story of the credits you just saw. And then at the end of those credits, another set. And they just get smaller and smaller and smaller. I, I couldn't believe it. Like, how do we end this movie? Oh, how about we just recap the movie in the laziest possible way? That seems to be the vibe of this film is how do we do this in the laziest possible manner? I hate there's some Peter Dinklage stuff that I think is, is really good. I'm really pissed off at Adam Sandler for caring so little and, and ruining what could have been an okay movie. It could have been a lot better. But again, you got to put a big star in a movie like this or maybe not i don't know maybe the premise of it was enough to carry it as i noted in the setup the three pillars of this that they ripped off from you know the 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 heart and soul of king of kong just the inspiration from the pixel short film and just the blatant plagiarism of that episode of futurama they just they took the wrong parts of all three to make just a garbage film it's yeah it's it's not good we really we watch bad movies for this show i've just realized that we should watch good movies which speaking of a good movie we are going to cap off this season with a truly um inspiring brilliant piece of cinema Bo. yeah uh, our last film for uh, season seven of pick six movies will be a little movie i like to call street fighter no not that one the legend of chun li which asks the question Hey, what if Batman was a lady and in Thailand? I got a feeling if you went to Thailand and you said, I need to find Batman, within 45 minutes, you could make that happen. <laughs> yeah, it's there is a, a Chris Klein performance in this film, which is something that you don't get to say as often as you might like. Um, that is absolutely bonkers. Uh, I, I'm very excited to talk about street fighter the legend of chun li i think it is the perfect way to end this season because it may not be the worst movie that we're going to talk about but it kind of perfectly encapsulates the themes of this season of nobody really caring that the movie is good with a healthy dose of plagiarism <laughs> you say the movie's terrible well it's not my fault go blame that guy right did you see Batman, the Tim Burton movie? Well, then you saw The Legend of Chun-Li. You just didn't know it yet. So come back next week for the final episode of this season. 
uh, Pick 6 Movies. As always, like, rate, review, drop us a line, pick6movies at gmail.com. You can visit us on Facebook, and we're bouncing around on some other social media. And uh, uh, we will see you in one week's time for one more fantastic 25 cents worth of entertainment. Packed into a dollar show. (laughs) 